What up, brawlers? Welcome back to Throne Hands. It's Jacob and Daniel Perusal, but we have a very special guest today, Brendan Fitzgerald, one of the UFC play-by-play announcers. Brendan, how are you doing? Doing good, Jacob. How are you, man? Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. I'm doing pretty good. So we're just going to get right into it. How did you get your start in uh, journalism? What piqued your interest in that? You know, when I was a little kid, uh, always loved sports and Love the call of the game, just like everybody in their backyard, whether they're playing basketball, football, or hockey, they're kind of announcing themselves playing right along with it. And when I was, you know, really little, I asked my dad how, how those guys got to do that, uh, how they got to be on TV, you know, calling the games. And uh, I love Center when I was really young, woke up at like six in the morning so you could watch Center before you go to school. And because uh, that was the only way to see the highlights of all the big sports those days and um, just fell in love with it, man. Always wanted to be in sports journalism and broadcasting. And it's changed over the years what I wanted to do. I always wanted to be in the field, but it changed from being a sports talk host to a play-by-play announcer to a sports center anchor to all sorts of different stuff. And uh, I'm lucky that I have gotten to experience a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, man, here I am all these years later, just uh, knew I needed to figure out a job where it wasn't real work, where I could uh, love the hell out of it every step of the way. That's what I got. Uh, so you mentioned kind of shifting, uh, shifting your focus and what you've been doing through your career. You got your journalism degree at Ithaca and then started working like with local news stations doing sports with that right out of college. Uh, what was it like, or your experience, I should say, looking for a job right out of college and trying to break in? Oof. That's the roughest part, Dan. That's the toughest part. Uh, you do whatever. It's, it's, I, I would say it's better now, but I, I feel like that, that could be said by a lot of people, right? Like, oh, the kids these days have it easier. Um, you know, back then it was you make, a, you make a resume tape with whatever you can do. You know, you get involved in your student radio clubs or TV clubs. Uh, you know, we had a news station at Ithaca where, you know, I got to anchor the sports for like a local news broadcast. Um, but, you know, you got to share the opportunities with other people in the same major. So you can only do it so many times. And, you know, just it, there wasn't a camera on every phone. And, you know, there was just a lot of things. So you, you just put together what you can in a resume tape. And back then I was on the very end of like DVDs existed and people watched DVDs and movies. But when it came to sending out for jobs, it was still VHS tapes. You know, you'd still send out a tape that goes into a VCR. I don't even know if you guys know what those are right now. Uh, but, you know, and then you burn it to DVD, but you had to send out a physical copy and just keep your fingers crossed that you're going to get a letter or an email back. But, you know, you just literally go to the UPS store, send your tape to Texas, send it to Montana, send it to Wyoming and just look for these job opportunities that were posted online and hope that somebody would call you back. You know, nowadays you can have your own YouTube channel. You can have your own podcast really easily. 
You can talk into your phone camera all the time. Uh, and you can get a bunch of experience and then share it and try to make connections through social media, through email, like a lot easier than you used to be able to, where you just send out a tape and just wait for a phone call back or an email back. So uh, that's kind of what those days were like. I had a few close calls and really the problem was I knew my resume tape was not good. Like I knew it wasn't up to the ability that I had learned. You know, I, I was like, well, I can be good at this, but I don't have enough reps, but this is what my resume tape looked like. So really one of the most important things I did was I just got a job in the industry. I printed scripts. I rolled the teleprompter at this station in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, got paid 10 bucks an hour and just got my foot in the door. And I was able to make a new resume tape there and kind of work day to day in a newsroom. And all of a sudden, if you're 24 and you have some experience in a functioning newsroom, right, working alongside other pros and you're making a decent resume tape, that goes a long way instead of I've never worked in this field. Here's my college resume tape. Hire me. You know, you can get a job like that, but it's better to just get your foot in the door however possible. But, you know, with the with the technology the way it is these days, it's certainly a lot easier to get uh, more experience through what you guys are doing, what I'm doing on my podcast that I started up. Anybody can start one and just it's about how much you want to do it and, and the grind of uh, kind of making it happen and learning along the way. So how would you say your local news experience prepared you to work at ESPN and, you know, now with the UFC? The thing with the local is, you know, it, it forces you to be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation. My first job on air was in Wyoming. I covered rodeos. I'm a kid from Massachusetts. I went out to Wyoming. I covered rodeo. Okay. You talk about stranger in a strange land right so but what i didn't realize at the time and i was told this and i and i started realizing it while i was there because while i was there it was just purely a means to an end it's like i don't want to live in wyoming longer than i have to i'm not getting paid a, a good amount of money to be here but i knew that it was a necessary step in the journey and i had some other connections in the in the business and they were like you're going to be better for it in the long run because you had to go fit in into a different place. You had to go cover things that you didn't know about, forces you to learn about them. Anybody can be a fan of their favorite teams. You know, Dan, you're a Warriors fan. So you could just be a fan of the Warriors and talk about the Warriors all day long. But then when it comes to a job that you might get in a different spot and it's you're, you're covering high school baseball, your experience as a Warriors fan and loving that sport doesn't really go very far. So for me to go to a different place and cover rodeos, cover high school cross country and, uh, you know, semi-pro arena football and minor league baseball, like you're doing so many different things. It just forces you to get out of your comfort zone and learn uh, how to cover something, no matter what it is, like what makes it good to cover it, tell a story about it, make it interesting. And once you can do that with stuff that there's not a ton of information on, then you get to the point where you're covering the NBA and it's like, well, it's not hard to find information on that. You know, then you kind of have the nuts and bolts down and uh, you can just pour your effort into a sport that's, that's more widely covered and you kind of have uh, more in your, your toolbox to do it the right way or to do it your way. Okay, so you did the local sports thing for a while. In 2014, you get an opportunity to break in with ESPN as a studio host. Where did that opportunity come from? How did that come about? 
So I worked uh, small markets for the first couple of stops, and then I worked in Boston. That was a big break to work in Boston, which is where I'm from, and cover. All of a sudden, you're in Boston, you're covering major teams, even though I'm at a local station. So then I got an agent. Um, I had held off getting an agent. I don't recommend getting an agent until you're in one of those bigger cities covering some major sports a lot of times. And so I got an agent because um, I thought I might have stayed in Boston for 20, 30 years and make it my career since I was from there. But um, I just didn't love the station that I was at. I didn't love the position that I was at. It was, it was a great job, but I was just like, well, long term, I have a long ways that I can go. I could either go up to network or maybe I'm working a different station in Boston. There's a lot of different things I could do. So, but those bigger jobs, you kind of need some help. You can't just call up ESPN and be like, where do I, where do I apply for the job as sports center anchor? So um, got an agent to kind of see what possibilities were out there. He got me a couple of uh, interviews and sure enough, got me an audition at ESPN in Connecticut to, uh, to work for ESPNU, which was actually the job was Bay Carolina. And I ended up moving down there, but uh, yeah, got the audition at SPN, sat alongside Randy Scott, uh, hosted like a mock sports center in some studio for an audition and kind of uh, talked to a, some different executives and ultimately landed a job at ESPN. So that's how that went. So you, you grinded out at ESPN for three years, but then this opportunity with the UFC comes about and you audition uh, for for a play-by-play spot and you know you, you do four fights what were your thoughts during that audition well that was that was pretty different because uh you know it's not like i left on espn on my own terms you know i was part of the mass layoffs that they had in 2017 and so all of a sudden i'm out on the market and i'm hoping for a job you know i'm hoping i'm, I'm trying to see what the next job's going to be where the opportunities are and just didn't know so I get this call to audition for the UFC and I wasn't, you know, I had to cover college sports, college sports dominate Saturdays, you know, like today there's a lot of college football going on and there's a UFC card going on. If you're covering college football, you can't really know a lot about what else is out there. So I didn't know a ton about the UFC other than the big names and the big stars and those crossover fights. And uh, so I was really just kind of like, it's an opportunity uh sounds fun i don't know much about it but uh, it comes back to the to the wyoming thing it's like i've covered rodeos before i can call a fight uh you know so that's kind of how that went i went into the audition just hoping to you know giving it my best shot i knew that they wanted high energy i knew that it's a sport where anything can happen and and it's all about you know you know, if you if you're lucky enough to call fights with finishes and stuff like that, pick up the energy, keep it simple, call the action, call it how you see it, and just kind of give a, a genuine reaction to uh, a sport that has high energy and highlight moments. And uh, luckily, did well on the audition. I guess you know they they kind of liked my voice initially. I have a good voice for that sort of thing, and. Uh, my my excitement kind of matched the action, and I was lucky to get good fights to call. Call four fights, and three of them were finishes. Um, and just you know, on from there, man. Uh, ended up getting the opportunity for the contender series out of that. Without having much exposure to MMA before that, how did you go about educating yourself uh, to be able to call those fights? 
So they gave, they gave everybody who was going to audition a fight pass subscription. They're like, here's, here's one month free of UFC fight pass. Um, I've always been good at, you know, I think a lot of my early part of my career. And I think, I think anybody, you know, when you're a kid and you're playing basketball in your driveway and you're calling the action, you kind of know what the announcer says, like, Oh, it's out to Curry for three, you know, whatever. Um, mimicking something has always been something I'm pretty good at is having an ear for how something should sound or how it properly sounds, whether it's reading a news story on, on, you know, an anchor desk or how a highlight should sound if you're calling a highlight. So really I was just trying to watch and listen to as many fight calls as I could. It's like, okay, how, how should it sound when, when, when Goldie was with Rogan calling the Connor fights, like how did they sound? What makes it good? What makes that a good product? When Anik was calling fights, like what information is he including in the call of the fight? When there's a big punch or kick landed, what's the reaction? When there's a takedown, what's the flow of it? So really as, as much as I was cramming for education of the sport and who I'm going to call and their background and their wins and losses, if you just go in with a bunch of information, but you don't know how it should sound, then you're just really, you know, um, hoping that, that you, what you're going to say sounds right. So I was kind of studying the cadence of how it should sound from an announcer's perspective. And, uh, you know, luckily I, I think I, I think I was able to, to do it right enough to get me the opportunity. So you, like you said, you uh, do the contender series, you watch Sean O'Malley fight, and then your first fight night call, it's, a, it's, a, it's in an arena. What were the feelings like going into there? In, in Fresno was my first UFC card. And uh, the weekend was fun. You know, traveling it was a new experience for me to, you know, I had done it on the contender series, but it was a new experience to, okay, then I'm traveling to Fresno. I'm going to stay at the hotel. Everybody's at the hotel. We're going to have meetings you know, just being part of the flow of the weekend. And even though I didn't know everybody well yet, uh, everyone was really nice. And the guys that I even still work with today, the producers and my boss, like, we just have a good rapport. We have a good connection on the road and, and all that stuff. So the weekend was great, felt prepared. And then the day of the show, I just got so nervous, just so nervous. When I got to the arena, I was like, I kind of realized the magnitude of it for me. When you look back on it, okay, UFC says no. That's not a big card. It's not this major thing. But to me, it felt big. And it was actually kind of big. Dana went to it. You know, Dana doesn't go to every show. Now in Vegas, he goes to most of them. But when they're on the road, when we were in Lincoln, Nebraska, Boise, Idaho, he didn't go to those shows. But Dana went to that one, I think, because Brian Ortega was undefeated. Cub Swanson was a name. They were contenders in the featherweight division. And... um so I just realized before the show started, I was just, it just felt so big. It's like, I'm going to be on TV for six hours. This is a bigger broadcast than I've ever done. This is a bigger audience than I corner by myself and like closed my eyes for like 10 minutes and just kind of like calm myself down and uh, ultimately had a fun night and uh, it led to more opportunities. Sorry, I just kind of cut out there, but anyway, so you know, you know, it's pretty normal. And then you get to fight night Rodriguez versus Stevens. What was when, you know, the eye poke happened, what was the energy in the crowd? Like you were with Bisping, I know. Like, can you like, what was your perspective on that? Yeah, I was actually talking about this last night. 
even though it sucks that that main event didn't happen, that was a fun broadcast. That was a fun night of fights. The crowd was uh, really energetic. And so we get to this main event, Yair's in Mexico, and obviously the eye poke happens. So you hope that the eye poke isn't going to be a big problem. And usually if it's not a big problem, they're kind of able to blink it out right away. If you notice, if somebody gets an eye poke and they stop the action, generally you know inside of like 30 seconds to a minute if that person's going to be okay and like be able to see okay. Um, and so after it goes like, you know, a minute, two minutes, and he's still just standing there and he can't open his eye. I was like, I hope this doesn't end this way, but his body's not responding right now. Like, like if it's not okay in two minutes, how long are we going to sit here and, and make it last? Like the eye is a, is a finicky thing. It's a quick healing part of the body. But if you get poked in the eye, you just can't see, like, they just won't let the fight continue. You know, the, the, the commission and, and the referee and, you know, they won't let the fight continue if you can't see. And he couldn't open his eyes. So Herb Dean starts giving the warning and he was just like, all right, we got five minutes. And then it became four or three minutes. And all of a sudden we're down to two minutes. And I'm like, this fight's not going to happen. I was like, this is not going to happen. He's standing here. He's still, he's had three, four minutes right now. And he cannot even open his eye. Um, the crowd was kind of building. They, I think the crowd sensed that the fight would still happen because it's really rare that a fight just gets called off because of that. And especially a main event. We've seen that happen in lower card fights. And it's like, okay, on to the next one. But that's the main event. That's Yair Rodriguez, the biggest star in Mexico. So once Herb called it off, I was like, oh, no. I can't believe this is going to happen. I looked to my left. I see a be the first beer. I saw the first beer. And I was like, oh, they're going to start really chucking beers. I'm like, There's not one person that's going to throw a beer and everyone's going to stop. That's the first of many. So uh, first beer goes, I kind of look to my left. I see more coming down. Stage manager sitting to my left. He ducks down and kind of puts his chair up to shield. And I knew that we weren't going to commercial. So I was like, I'm going to have to ride this out. And yeah, I could have just sat there and looked up and not been under the table. But then I could have got hit from this side. Or I could have tried to fend one off. And I'm like, I need to be able to kind of describe what's happening here. So I was like, if I just sit under the table here, I'm not going to be able to hit, be hit by anything on three sides. And I could just look out and I could call the action. And uh, obviously it turned into this funny viral moment. Some people thought, I can't believe you went under the table, whatever. It's just like, you know, had to stay cool under pressure and, uh, and call it the right way. So if that happens again, I'd probably do the same thing and just be like, all right, cool. I'm just going to take my little shelter here so that I can talk everyone through at home what's going on here. And uh become one of the bigger moments of my career so far all right so from one of the most intense moments of your career uh, what's one of your favorite moments or favorite fights that you've called in your time with the UFC you know uh that's it's really tough to pick because just when you think you've hit it uh, another event comes a few months later and you, it gives you another one but you know obviously there's a couple that stand out and really the two that probably stand out uh, ahead of the rest are um, Cowboy Cerrone in Denver, 25th anniversary UFC show. And uh, not only that, he's from Colorado. So the crowd, you know, it was just all over him when he comes out. It was like, you know, the crowd loves Cowboy everywhere he fights, but that's his home state. 
And then he gets the first round submission win, and it puts him alone on top for most finishes and most wins in UFC history. That's a pretty big moment. You know, that's, that's a record-breaking moment uh, on a 25th anniversary show for the UFC where we were kind of celebrating the sport and then to have him be from the city that we were in and where the UFC started. I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's just really uh, quite a moment that, that we had. And then the other one would be Uriah Faber in Sacramento, you know, four years away, Hall of Famer coming back. He's 40 years old. And to not only win, but to win like that, you know, he's not a knockout guy. And he was an underdog, pretty sizable underdog. And he got a knockout in the first round. And the, the roof just blew off the place. So, you know, those are probably the two biggest moments that I was able to call. And, uh, you know, the, the crowd has a lot to do with that. And just, just the, the setting and just everything coming together. Speaking of crowd and setting, the settings changed in the past few months with COVID, empty arenas. Well, you're in the apex where it's a pretty intimate space, I, 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 in my opinion. And then you go to, you know, to Yaz Island and the, the space is, is very similar. What's it like calling these fights in the COVID era? Yeah, you just have to keep focused on the TV product. And, you know, we wear headsets. You know, we're obviously with a headset and a microphone. So... I think the biggest thing is to not sit there and, and wish for the crowd and not think about that. It's so quiet and not think about like, ah, oh, man, I can't wait till we get crowds back. And Oh, remember the times when it was louder, like I can't wait for that. And, that, and that's, you know, really something that, you know, we're counting down until that can happen again. And obviously provides a lot of energy. It provides a lot of energy to the TV viewers at home. So, you know, you acknowledge that that exists, but when you're in the call, the broadcast, you just got to focus on the fight in front of you and manufacturing the energy, like, you know, bringing the energy to the broadcast that you normally have and understanding that if the fight is happening, if, the, if there's a great fight happening, you, you pick it up, man. It's, it is really an authentic reaction to how good the fighters are and, and how much action is going on in there. And as long as you just kind of stay in that world of like, you know, most of the time when we call fights, we're not watching what's happening in there. We're not kind of acknowledging the room. We're headset on and we're mostly watching on the screen, on the monitor in front of us, just like, you know, everybody at home is watching on the screen. So as long as you can kind of stay in that tunnel of, uh, you know, we're on TV, this is how it looks on TV, this is how it sounds on TV, pick up the energy and, and give that to the fans at home, then... Uh, it's really not as challenging as one might think. One might think it's like, oh, man, that's got to be really tough. And, uh, you know, it really isn't. You know, it's, it's like you just got to rely on your preparation, your experience as uh, somebody who's called fights for a few years now. So as we wrap up here, what are some fights you think people should uh, be on the lookout for before the new year ends? Well, uh, I am lucky enough. The flyweight title is on the line again. That's a great fight. Brandon Moreno's, you know, been deserving of that shot. And Davis and Figueredo's proven it every time out. The guy is an absolute killer. So uh, that's a really interesting matchup. I'll be lucky enough where I'll be calling the, the fight card on, on December 19th. That's our last show of the year. Um, and, you know, the, the new main event, Jeff Neal and Wonderboy, ranked welterweights you know anybody ranked in the welterweight division is a, is a beast and, and certainly somebody that can make a run uh, big opportunity for jeff neal 
Wonder Boy is still chasing that belt, and, and we'll see. He looked awesome in his last fight. You got Cheeto against Jose Aldo in the co-main event. That's a fun fight. I can't even remember what's up and down that card, but that card is just stocked. Even the prelims, you got Contender Series guys on the prelims. Like December 19th, top to bottom, is, I would say, the best fight card that I'll have called to this point. You know, I've called some high-profile fights here and there. But obviously, I haven't called a pay-per-view. And, you know, with the amount of ranked fighters and high-profile names, that's the deepest fight card that I will have had the opportunity to call yet. So really looking forward to December 19th. And when we cap off that show, that will be – we have done an event every single Saturday from July 11th until December 19th with a whole Contender Series season in the middle of that. Uh, pretty incredible. So we'll get what two, three weeks off before we start the new year in Abu Dhabi. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's been, it's been quite a. As he, as he gets back connected, I'll, I'll just throw one last question at you. You know, we're just a couple of college students trying to break in, uh, get into the world of sports journalism. And, and, you know, a lot of our friends that listen to this show are doing the same. So, uh, Advice-wise, for, for some young kids trying to, trying to get into the business, you talked about how you broke in early. Is there anything else you, you would add for us as we try to, try to make our way as we, as we finish up college and try to get into the business? Yeah, man. So do what you're doing, right? This is, this is the best thing that you can do that's not in line with, like, classes and whatever. You know, a, a lot of what I learned didn't come from my classes. And this isn't to say – college is a waste of time and money that it's not it gives you opportunities it gives you connections it gives you connections for internships which are you know sadly on hold in a lot of places right now too but like the the biggest thing is is doing what you want to do and just just finding a way to get your foot in the door you know you guys want to host a podcast one day whether it's with espn whether it's with a local radio station whatever it is you're doing it right now you know, th- these reps are helping you. So if you want to be a writer, start a blog. If you want to be a, po- a radio host or a podcast host, do what you're doing right now. If you want to do TV, set up your camera, whether it's on your computer, iPhone, whatever, do some fake reports. Pretend you're at the NBA finals and just what would Doris Burke be telling us from courtside? Cool. Take Watch SportsCenter. She does a one-minute hit on – the storyline heading into tonight's game, be like, okay, what if that was the storyline? What if I was the reporter? Write something out and do it into a camera. You know what I mean? Or uh, write a preview for NFL Sunday or write a gambling column for what picks you like. There are so many, everybody can do it now. So there's no excuse to not do it. There's no excuse to be like, have you had an experience? It's just like, well, not professional experience. Okay, so what have you been doing to get ready? Well, nothing. It's like, that's not going to fly. You know, that, that doesn't fly anymore because of the technology exists. If it's, if you want to be a writer and you haven't been paid to be a writer yet and they could see, Oh, so you have no experience. You could be, well, I have my blog and I've written this, this, and this, I can send you my best article. I can send you my best clip or I have a podcast. Here's our best questions. Here's our best guests. Here's our best show. Okay. They can at least see what you look like on camera, what you sound like and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, because you never know when that opportunity is going to come. You never know when you're going to run into somebody who's in that field or who hires or who likes your stuff or who has a need. Hey, we need somebody to do this. So it's really just, you know, stay ready, 
and um I would say work for free. It's it's kind of tough in this day and age to work for free. They don't let you do that as much as they used to. Um, just find your way to get a foot in the door any way you can, you know, because the biggest mistake I made early in my career was like, I'm going to send out my resume tape and I'm going to, I'm, I want to be on air. So I'm going to wait for an on air job opportunity. And what happens when a year goes by and you don't get one? Well, I moved to Phoenix. All of a sudden I'm working in the business and I'm not on air yet, but I'm seeing what that guy does. I'm seeing what that guy does. I'm seeing how the operation runs. You make some friendships with a camera guy or the sports anchor. You say, hey, this is what I want to do. They help you. They give you some hints. They help you make a resume tape. Now you got a decent resume tape and you can get a job. And you're kind of coming at it from a, from a more experienced perspective. So that's what I'll say. Just try to get experience wherever you can. Keep doing this in terms of your on-air stuff, but get your foot in the door, you know, however you can and try to make connections. Jacob, you just sent me Instagram messages and now here I am. I'm on your show. You know, keep reaching out to people that you like, keep reaching out to people that you respect, people that are in the business, whether they're a producer, whether they're on LinkedIn and they work for this company, whatever it is, just try to make your connections. And, uh, you know, one of them's going to land. People like to help out. Well, Brennan, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, where can people find you on uh, the internet? Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Brennan Fitz TV. My podcast is called Fitz Nation. It, an interview every wednesday youtube fits nation podcast on apple spotify wherever fits nation and uh generally it's an interview with a ufc fighter someone in the in the mma world and uh i'm just trying to make the dream happen in the podcast space like you guys are so uh happy to uh happy to be on your show and uh thanks for having me of course well that'll do it for us here on throwing hands i want to thank brendan for coming on uh and we'll see you guys next time